Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Dee, for uh, reading scripture. Man, I'm so glad you made it here today. You guys excited? Give me a smile. No, nothing? Wow. No, I love you guys, and it's so good to be back. Uh, I just first, before I get into the message here today, I want to thank all of our teaching team for preaching over the last four weeks. Last week, if you were here, Pastor Ken, our founding pastor, spoke on just revival, and it was amazing, and our testimony. Can we give it up to Pastor Ken if you were here? If not, still do it. Uh, the week before that, there was, oh, was Tracy, my sister. She spoke a wonderful message on shame. I'm going to be talking more about that here today, but she did an incredible job of breaking down shame and deconstructing it. And how many of you were blessed by that message? Come on, give it up for Trace. And then the week before that, we had Shane Grove. Everyone say Shane Grove. Shane Grove, handsome, handsome man, my best friend. And uh, he spoke a wonderful message on be, becoming a gospel people. So give it up for Shane and that wonderful message. And then the week before that, my wife, it says, and then the week before that, and the week before, I'm kidding. Uh, the week before that, my wife spoke a wonderful message on uh, contempt, living in a, uh, a culture of contempt, uh, but at the same time, honoring people. And we, I was blessed and rocked by that message. And I know many of you were, I know my wife's not here. We have a couple sick kids. Thank you for your prayers. But can we get up to my wife? Uh, she's a wonderful, wonderful communicator. Come on, guys. How many of you love this church? We are blessed. I mean, I'm just going to, let's give it up for our worship team. They, they, man, they're amazing. The teaching team is amazing. You're amazing. Our media in the back, give it up for our media. They're amazing. I love what they do. They put up with all my shenanigans and all that kind of stuff. And I, I, man, we have wonderful children's workers. And I just go down the list. We're so blessed to be a part of a great community. And so I am so glad you made it here today. How many of you excited that we're only 25 days away from football? Come on. Well, first service was a lot more excited than you guys. All right. Uh, 25 days, 30 days away, whatever it is from football. That means we got seven months where you will no longer be with your husband, wives. I'm kidding. That was a bad joke. No. Okay. Wow. Hard. I came in. I could feel the hardness in this room. Okay. Um, no, we love you guys. And again, I'm so glad you um, made it here today. Uh, I like to pray before I, I do that. I'm just going to title this message shame. Okay. We're going to talk about shame today um, and how God can uh, remedy shame in our lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace here this morning. Lord, we bless every son and daughter in this room. Lord, we thank you that you release your power in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. Father, I thank you that we will leave changed. We will leave transformed by your power. Lord, we thank you for last week and the week before and how, God, you're always at 
work in our lives. And so I, I just thank you right now in this moment that our hearts will be filled with great expectation. Father, we thank you that you are at work in this church and the churches in this city. You are at work in our world. Father, I thank you as we talked about earlier, we're going to open our hearts up to faith and we're going to believe that God is still in charge of this messed up world. And we thank you that you want to do great things. So we bless you in Jesus' name. And everyone set. Amen. Amen. Uh, a couple days ago, I watched a movie. Uh, or if you don't like it, like the fact that I, your pastor, watched a movie. A friend of mine watched a movie. <laughs> but a couple days ago, me, this friend, whatever, uh, watched uh, <laughs> Beautiful Boy. It's, it's a story that came out in 2018. Uh, it's based on a memoir of a father's journey through his son's addiction. It's a powerful story. Uh, it describes in heart-wrenching detail, actually shows, this doesn't tell, but shows this son's journey through rehab, many rehabs and detox situation. He overdoses in this movie several times, and you see the heart of the father. How many fathers do we have here today, right? You just know you, you love your children and you see this love on display in, in this movie. And uh, this, this kid, he's at a meeting and at this meeting he has a sponsor, his mom, and uh, some of his fellow um, people are recovering from alcohol, addictions, etc. And this is kind of like the high point of the movie. It's kind of more towards the end. And he gets up in front of his, uh, his, uh, this whole crew. And uh, this is what he says. And I, f I found it poignant. And I, I feel like it's, it's so relevant to the issue and the problem of shame that, shame that everyone in this room feels. And this is what he said in the movie. He goes, I woke up in the hospital. And as I woke up after overdosing on heroin, uh, there was a person in the room. And this person said, what's your problem? Everyone say, what's your problem? He goes, what's your problem? And then his response, the kid's response to this, this person is, well, I'm an alcoholic. I'm an addict. And then the person that, that asked the question then kind of pauses and reflects and says, no, uh, you're not first an alcoholic and no, you're not first an addict. And I know this is a little tropey, but just go with me. He goes, no, that is how you're, you've been treating and dealing with your problem. And then this young man at the end says, kind of the end of his speech, he goes, I, I realize now that, again, this is a little tropey, but it's true that I have a big hole to feel, a big black hole in my life, and I do not know how to fill it. And he says it with a sense of shame. And then he concludes his little message by giving thanks to his sponsor and telling his sponsor that he's amazing, and then his mom and dad, they're amazing. And then at, at the very end, again, it's really poignant, very moving, and he pauses, and then he looks to like his mom in the back, and he says, I just want them to be proud of me. Just want them to be proud of me. I remember sitting there and I'm just like, you know what? I think that desire for someone, a mom, a dad, an authority figure, God, whatever, to be proud of me is something that is built into every human heart. Every human heart has this insatiable longing to be accepted, right? Some of you are like, come, I mean, we, we want to be seen. We want to be recognized. We want to know that someone loves us. Right? That our lives matter. Right? Unless I'm speaking to aliens here today. You want, and you're here today, because you want your life to matter. 
You want it to mean something. And to mean something and to matter means to be, means to be loved. And so as I thought about this movie and as I'm talking about it here today, I'm not using this story, and please don't get the wrong idea, I'm not using this story to single, single out addicts, whether it's drug addicts or sex addicts or those who are addicted to self-harm or whatever. I'm not trying to single them out as a unique group going through very difficult or terrible times. Of course they're going through terrible things and terrible times, but they're not unique, please hear me. They're going through terrible stuff but they're not unique. Rather, I, I just had a revelation, I feel like the Holy Spirit told me this week that drug addicts, sex addicts, those who are addicted to self-harm, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, they are a graphic reminder that we all are hiding from ourselves and from God because of shame and fear, which we all have been programmed into. You see, outside of Jesus, Romans chapter 5 breaks us down that we are born into this Ad Adamic legacy, which simply means that Adam is our rep representative. And because he's our representative, our, the control center or panel of our life is shaped around fear and shame. So we all are treating the problem of shame and fear and anxiety and brokenness in our life, maybe not with drugs, maybe not with vodka, maybe not with illicit sex here today. Uh, may, maybe you're trying to treat it by turning to the Dallas Cowboys for help. It ain't gonna help you, okay? May, but, but most of us, please hear me, most of us are treating the pain and the trauma that, that's in that sub, subterranean world in our life that we just don't like to talk about. We treat it with success. We treat it with approval. We treat it with, oh, I gotta be 120 pounds. And you get on the scale and you're like, oh, you're not 120 pounds. And then you look in the mirror and you don't like what you look like in the mirror and then you don't eat for two days. What, what's happening? You're building your entire identity around a lie. You're building your entire personhood around shame and fear. You're trying to remedy what you feel deep down inside through your own means. We do it with politics, we do it with our affiliation with people, we do it in relationships. We try to build our entire identity around something other than the love of God. And this is what we find in Genesis chapter three. I'm gonna begin in verse seven, and I'm just gonna read just a few verses. We have in the first six verses, Eve is deceived by the serpent, both Adam and Eve, call it the big lie. Everyone say the big lie. Big lie. So they're lied to. And the serpent comes to Eve and Adam, essentially, and tries to deconstruct the love of God. That's essentially what he's doing. He's indicting God. And so Eve is just befuddled by this, this question that implies or contradicts that God is good and that it leads her to a different conclusion about God. And so we find in verse six that they eat of the fruit, they disobey God, and then we come to verse seven. And then it says, then the eyes of both were opened. And then they knew that we're naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Verse 10. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I 
hid myself. Verse 10 is the cumulative effects of Adam's disobedience. He says that I am afraid. He's in this conversation, this tete-a-tete with God. He says, I'm afraid. I can't rest. I can't calm down. I'm always thinking about the next thing. I'm thinking, I'm worrying about tomorrow. And then he says, the reason why I'm afraid is because I'm naked. This isn't about nakedness. This is about shame. I'm afraid because I'm broken, God. How could you possibly love me? This is the conversation Adam is having with God. God, you don't know what I've done. Like they... I think Adam here wishes with all his might that he could go back before they made the decision to disobey God. And he's telling God, God, I'm a broken man. There's no way you could put me back together. So he talks about shame. And then he says this, and that is the reason why I hid myself. So really quick today, if you want a map for this message, I'm just going to talk about three things. These three things that I'm going to talk about here today. One, um, hiding. Everyone say hiding. Shame. Two, shame. Everyone say shame. And then I want to talk about the love of God. First, hiding. As Tracy mentioned this a couple weeks ago, we are experts in the, in the art of hiding from ourselves and from God. Verse 7, it says that after they disobeyed uh, God's command, what did they do? They sewed fig leaves to cover their nakedness. So what's the translation? What does that possibly mean, right? In this unfolding drama, they gather fig leaves. How do we apply that today? Well, essentially what they're doing is they're hiding by sewing fig leaves, hiding from their shame and their brokenness on their own terms. So the question that we have to ask ourselves here today are what are fig leaves, right? What, what, what are the ways in which we sew fig leaves and loincloths to cover our shame. I think there's a lot of different examples. I want to highlight just a few. I think one is busyness. Everyone say busyness. Or we could call it hurry sickness. Scholars, experts call it hurry sickness. We're busy. We're distracted. For many of us, it's hard to pray. We've adopted many secular assumptions about life, and so we go from one thing to the next. These are good things, but we go from sports and school and work, and we want to travel. We want to go on vacation, but if you have seven kids, that's never going to happen. You're always going to be depressed. Let's move on. Um, we, everyone has a birthday party that you, you're obligated to go to. Like, can we just have... Can we just... Stop that. Anyways, let's just move on. Uh, we have barbecues. Like some of you are like, oh my God, what's wrong with him? Uh, we, have, we, we have barbecues that we got to go to. We have relationships that we have to build. I mean, we just got things and things and things and things and things and things and we're so stinking busy. Some of us are in high pressured work environments and we have projects that we do and we want to achieve uh, big things. And so uh, scholars call this hurry sickness. I say this all the time, but Corey Tenboon said this, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. The question that I want to ask is why does the devil want to make you busy? I'm going to answer that question before I do that. Some of you are thinking, well, I'm not busy. I'm not, I'm not suffering from the plague of hurry sickness. Well, yeah, you are. Number one, how do you know? Well, experts will say, if you go to a grocery store, how many of you like going grocery shopping? Okay, the devil's a liar. That's the worst experience, right? <laughs> I, how many of you love my wife? Come on, come on. My wife is amazing. She's amazing mother, wife, a preacher. She's just full of vision and faith. But when she sends me her text of things that she wants me to get at the grocery store, I Christian cuss, okay? <laughs> she's a hippie. And so half the time, I don't even know what she's talking about, okay? So 
But this is, I don't know, why am I going on that tangent? I don't know. Grocery store, this is what experts say, that if you go to a grocery store and you look for the shortest line, you suffer from hurry sickness. In addition, in traffic, if you're in traffic and you stop at a sign, or before you stop at a sign, as you're approaching a stop light, if you look for the shortest line, if you're in multiple lanes, that means you suffer from busyness, overwork, and you are infected with the plague of hurry, right? Some of you are like, oh, shoot. You know what my problem is? And maybe you can relate to me. My problem are those who, when it's 40 miles an hour, those people in front of you are driving 40 miles an hour. <laughs> I'm not suggesting we break the law. Why not 44 miles an hour? Are we on a leisure drive? My wife hates it when I'm behind a person driving 40 in a 40 because I just lose my mind. I'm like, hey, there are people out there that has to do some important things. So move over, right? I mean, like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with your pastor? I don't know. I suffer from hurry sickness. We all suffer from hurry sickness. As one expert says, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. We're doing way too much and we're doing good things. I'm not saying not do good things. What I'm saying is we're just so distracted with the good things. My question is why? Why are we in such a hurry? Why are we so busy? This is my opinion and I'm right, okay? <laughs> I believe it's because mostly, guys, please hear me, I love you, we're hiding. We're hiding. We're hiding from ourselves. We're hiding from the stuff that we don't know what to address. We're hiding from our generational curses. We're, hi we're hiding from that haunting image that we see at night. And so we just go from one thing to the next to just get our minds off of that. We're hiding from ourselves and we're hiding from God. And we do this, we build our lives, and maybe it's not just around busyness, but we build our lives around achievement, and I gotta make like 100 million by the time I'm 40, or we build our lives around success, and we build our lives around appearance. I have to, you know, I have to curate this fabulous life on social media, or I have to be a social media influencer, influencer if, I'm gonna, if I'm gonna matter, if I'm gonna count. Or some of us, again, as I mentioned before, we, we affiliate with certain uh, political groups as a way to justify our existence and assuage the fear and shame that we all feel. So what do we do when we do that, right? We Netflix our way out of brokenness and it never happens, right? We try to TikTok our way out of it. We go on Facebook. Maybe some of us get involved in illicit sex. Uh, some of us travel. Some of us, I live in the country now. Can you believe it? I've been digging trenches and ditches and I've been talking about water rights and I'm like, I want to move back to the city, guys, okay? <laughs> But maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's, it's alcohol or grandpa's moonshine or I, I, it, it, these, are, these are fig leaves, right? That we try to, that we sew together to distract us from what's really going on inside of us. And here's the problem with fig leaves. Fig leaves are like guacamole. How many of you like guacamole? Come on. How many of you love it when it browns within 30 seconds? 
You see, guacamole spoils quickly. And so my family, we got a big family. We love going to Mexican restaurants and we just love chips and salsa and guacamole. Everyone goes to the guacamole first because they know within 10 minutes it's going to be brown, right? And so we have a free-for-all. Well, that's what fig leaves are. Fig leaves uh, spoil quickly. And what happens is, is when you're chasing or you're sowing fig leaves and you're chasing something outside of God's blessing, you'll never be satisfied. Success can never satisfy you. Appearance can never satisfy you because it can never deal with the larger and deeper problem of shame and fear. Are you with me? So why do we do all this? And I mentioned this is because uh, we do not want to address who we really are and who we really are, and this is the, the gospel truth for every son and daughter in this room, is that we are vulnerable, we are afraid, we are terrified, we're full of shame, uh, we don't like our brokenness, uh, we've been traumatized, we've been cursed, we have so many hurt and hurts and pains and we're sad and we're lonely. We have good days and bad days. There's just so much moods that we're not complicated, that we're not quite sure what they mean. We're just so much underneath that we just simply don't want to deal with. The problem is, is that if we don't address it, we can never experience the life that Jesus promised. And that life is what? Life more abundantly, which in the Greek simply means life more abundantly. Right? It's a dumb joke, but let's just go with it. It's life to the nth degree. It's life like you can't even imagine it. That's what Jesus promised us in this world. Life and life more abundantly. And until we become honest with who we are and stop hiding from ourselves and from God, we can never experience that. Second, the second point that I want to make is shame. Everyone say shame. We're all affected by shame. In fact, one uh, nine-time Grammy Award winner in an interview said this, that if she heard a thousand words of praise and then she heard one word of criticism, that one word of criticism would eliminate the thousand praises in her mind. She basically says what every expert says, that our brain is wired towards negativity and shame and brokenness. That one word would shape how she saw about herself. Right? That's essentially what she's saying. We're all inf in inflicted with this plague of shame. And shame is just simply this. It's this internalized sense of unworthiness. We feel like we're unworthy. We feel like we're inadequate. We feel like we just, we fell and we fell and we fell. But I want to frame it theologically. Shame is just simply an unwillingness to accept, please hear me, that God loves you without conditions that God loves you in spite of you and that love is everlasting. And so because we internalize shame and because we hide from ourselves and we hide from God, um, what happens is we, uh, we engage in sin patterns, right? Well, I'll say it this way. We hide because of our sin patterns and we assume because of our sin patterns, how many of you sinned last week? Come on, come on. We can be honest at church, right? Come on, raise that hand. Don't lie to the Holy Spirit, right? We know what happens, right? Like, what is he saying? I don't know. Um, we all have sinned, right? We all have particular sin patterns, and this is what happens. 
When we sin, we just, just automatically assume that God doesn't love us anymore, or maybe he just is kind of backing away from us. Or when we, we, we hide because of our failures, or we hide because of trauma, or we hide because of cursing. Maybe someone that you really loved and respected said, you're never going to make it. Or they say, I just don't love you. I wish you weren't a part of this family. Or there's a thousand different things that have been spoken over our lives that have cursed us. Cursing is just the spiritual devastation or wreckage that, are brought about, that is brought about by words spoken over us that go against God's opinion of who we are, right? Was that clear? Did I make, was that clear? And so we're, we're cursed or we live cursed lives or we live from a cursed consciousness and we're broken and we have failed and maybe we don't like our body or maybe we don't like our personality or maybe we don't like our upbringing and we could just go on and on and on. We are living within this constant sense of shame. So what's the answer to all of this? I could go on and on and on and I can't do that today because of the sake of time. So what's the answer to hiding? What's the answer to shame? Well, as I mentioned before, it's the love of God. Everyone say the love of God. Verse eight, I love this. I'm gonna have the guys put it up. I wanna read verse eight of Genesis chapter three. It says that they, because I can memorize this, I don't think they have it. There they go, verse eight. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking. Everyone say walking? In the garden, in the cool of the day. God, please hear me. God does not come as a storm theophany. God is not pacing frantically back and forth, bellowing curses at his image bearers. God, and Shane mentioned this at first service, God is not walking away from creation and his image bearers. God is coming, everyone say coming, and he's walking towards his disobedient, rebellious image bearers because God is a God of love and God is a God of compassion. God comes to us with a desire to restore and to forgive and to heal and to bring wholeness in our life. My professor says this all the, all the time, the story of the Bible, the entire story of the Bible can be summarized like this. God comes to forgive, cleanse, heal, and heal broken people, that's it. I'm gonna say it again, I want to, I, please give me a good amen on this. God comes to forgive, cleanse, and heal broken people. He sees right through us and he walks towards us. He sees everything about us and his desire is to make all things right in us. He's a God that works out of broken things. He makes new things. He's the one that takes broken pieces and makes whole people again. This is who God is. He's not here to annihilate us. And of course, some of you are thinking, well, does God condone sin? Of course, God does not condone sin or evil, but neither does God withhold his love, his compassion, his mercy, his healing power, his life, his blessing from us because of our sin and our evil. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's so important because so many of us live in shame. 
some of us have adopted this shame consciousness that we can't really believe that God loves us. For example, the, the average or the American 20 year old, if you're 20 years old, you have never known a day without Wi-Fi. You've never known a day without social media, without iPhones. It's funny, I tell my kids that when I grew up, we had one kid in our high school with the Zach Morris telephone, and that we had landlines, we had bikes, and we had an imagination. Can I get an amen? amen? And they look at me like I'm from the Neolithic Stone Age, right? They're like, what's wrong with like that? I mean, they feel sorry for me. Like, this is the social world that our kids are growing up in, right? So this, the, the implications of this social world, not just for young people, but for all of us, is that this social world causes enormous consequences. For example, uh, one person recounted how she tripped and fell long time ago before our, our social burgeoning world of uh, social media, et cetera. She tripped in front of five guys. She fell on her face and they started uh, laughing. She started crying and she felt tremendous embarrassment. But it only lasted for about five minutes and then she moved on. The problem is today, if you trip and fall or you have an embarrassing moment or you have just a bad moment, remember Tracy a couple weeks ago, she fell in front of the wedding party. It was just horrible, embarrassing. Uh, it has a possibility of going viral, right? And if you have an embarrassing moment captured uh, on some social media device and it goes viral, you're left with the devastating effects of that moment for years. So experts call this, we now live in a fame-shame culture. Right? So we think that the only way to assuage our shame is, is fame, but the problem is the more famous you get, the more criticism and shame right. you receive. Are you, you seeing the vicious cycle yeah. that we're in? So we have this, it's interesting, social media is a mixed bag. It, it, it offers uh, promises that you're, you belong, you're welcome, you could be a star, you can curate this fabulous personality, uh, you can belong, you could be accepted, you could be welcomed, but what happens if you only get two likes on that post that was absolutely brilliant and profound and you spent days, days, like thinking this through and you post it, two likes, and then your homeboy puts on some video that's absolutely trash and they get 20,000 likes, right? We live essentially in this competitive, comparative battle where on both sides you have fame and shame working against each other and so many people are, are feeling this tension, but it's this social world that's exasperating, exasperating the shame that we all feel. So what is the answer? The answer again is the love of the Father. I love this, Julian of Nor Norwich, she said this, some of us believe that God is, is almighty and can do everything and that he is all wise and may do everything, but that he is all love and will do everything, that's where we draw back. That's where we're like, no, God can paint the skies. He can create a quintillion of stars in trillions of galaxies. Come on. God could do something in New York City, Boston, somewhere else, big time, but there's no way God could do anything in Boise and there's no way that God could do anything in my life because of what I've experienced or what I've gone through or the bad decisions that I've made. We draw back when we're told that God loves us with an everlasting love. 
deep down inside, we don't believe it. I, some of you are looking at me like I am like an alien talking nonsense. I'm not. I'm speaking to every single person here today. How? How? Well, come on. On the good days, when the sun's out and it's not 107 degrees, it's about 88. Can I get an amen to that? And the birds are chirping and it's a glorious day and the kids are not fighting, right? And you give them ice cream and they're handling it and they're not losing their minds, right? And everything is just glorious, right? What do you automatically feel in that moment? You just feel like, God, this is, life is good and you love me. I need to go back to first service because they were, they were more honest, right? I'm kidding. You guys are honest, but come on. Like you love me. On the good days, we, we, and it could be in our subconscious. Maybe your prefrontal cortex needs to be more developed and you're not conscious of this. But if you're con that was a bad joke. But if you're conscious, if you're conscious of God's presence on the good days, we're like, God, man, you really love me. Life is good. My kids are great. I woke up on the right side of the bed. My mood is, oh, it's amazing. The Cowboys won last night. Everything's right in the cosmos. But what happens on the bad days? Come on. Like everything goes bad. Have you ever had those days? You wake up on the wrong side of the bed. You have some weird funk in your soul. You have all these complicated emotions. You're like, what is, was it the pizza? Was it the sushi? It probably was Burger King. Don't go to Burger King, okay? <laughs> and you're trying to figure out what's going on inside. And, and you're just, the world doesn't make sense. And it feels dark and you feel alienated. And then bad thing after bad thing after bad thing happens. Have you ever had one of those days before? Four? Four? Like, I've had those days plenty, yeah. right? And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, what is our first reaction? Our first reaction is, why God? But why do we say that? We're saying, why God? Because behind the why is, God, I don't know if you love me. So on the good days, we're like, man, we know God loves us. But for many of us on the bad days, oh, we lose that sense of God's love. And this is why it's so important that we don't draw back from, I know it might sound like cliche to you, but we cannot draw back from the, the, the bedrock reality of the spiritual life, which is God loves you. You are loved by the Father. And that love has no conditions. And yes, God is not celebrating your sin patterns. And yes, God is not celebrating, oh, you're doing everything perfectly. There is no such thing as a perfect person. So God clearly doesn't condone that stuff. But neither does God reject you. Neither does God say, oh, I can't love you. Let me say this, this, I said it first service. Like many, many people work from this weird assumption that, okay, God expects perfection from me. And that if I don't walk in perfection, if I have failures and I get into some sin patterns or whatever, I know God is not pleased with that, but somehow 
we then project our own self-evaluation of ourselves onto God and we think God is rejecting us because of our failures or because of the ways in which we give in to whatever, like such and such, right? And so we think like even today, we have an expectation that we now have to go out and just be absolutely perfect for God to be with us, for God to care for us, to God to come to us with compassion and mercy. Guys, that's never going to happen. And that's not how God thinks. God knows you're going to make mistakes. God knows you're going to fall into certain things. God understands the seasons that you're going to go through. The thing is, the expectation that God has, and I'm going to get to this point here pretty quick, the only thing God requires of us when we make a mistake is to simply be honest. To say, God, I, I'm going to take full responsibility for this. God, I'm not going to lie, and I'm going to get to this point here pretty quick, I'm not going to lie to myself about such and such. But the point is this, and please hear me, in the words of one uh, expert, when it comes to our spiritual life, this is the non-negotiable, okay? And I don't want this to be an idea. I want this to be something that we really know, that we, that we really live from, that it becomes part of who we are. And he says this, Christ wants us to alter our attitude towards ourselves and take sides with him against our own self or demonic evaluation. Here's the thing, if we re really want to live from God's love, remember God's perfect love casts out what? Fear. fear, it casts out shame. We also know perfect fear casts out all love. And so half the battle every single day is we have to be in the presence of God. If it's even 15 minutes a day, I don't care. We have to fight the good fight of faith by being in the presence of God, opening ourselves up to him and allowing him to speak his voice to us, allow him to speak his promises over us, to side with him with his assessment of who we are, that you are a son, you are a daughter. Yeah, you messed up. Yeah, you made mistakes. Yes, there were not, and it wasn't just mistakes. Yeah, there were some things that were done sinfully to you, but God is the one who comes to you always in compassion and grace with the desire to heal and transform you and to take your brokenness and turn it around and make you whole and make you a new creation and bring life out of the circumstances that have brought death to you. We have to aside or we have to come in agreement or take sides with Jesus. This is why I think we need to read Ephesians as I close here. Ephesians chapter one. Um, let's do it this week. Ephesians chapter one. Verse three says, you are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What does that possibly mean? Well, that's just a way of describing that you are blessed with everything. And then he goes on. Like, I love this, this first part of Paul's letter. It's, it's somewhat doxological, and it's also a, a prayer. And yet Paul is in one paragraph. If you look at the Greek, it's one long um, run-on sentence. He violates every, every grammatical thing in Koine Greek, right? It's because he's so, I believe, overwhelmed with the love of God, he cannot stop writing. And he says, you're blessed with every spiritual blessing. I want you to know this. I want you to know... It doesn't matter how you feel about yourself, but this is how God feels about you. You have been chosen in love. You've been adopted. You were outside, but now you were adopted and God has big plans for you. 
And he lavished his grace upon you and now you belong in the son. Am I preaching too loud today? You belong in the beloved and you are blessed with every spiritual blessing and that you have this huge inheritance and you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise and you have life and you have grace and you have everything you need no matter what you're going through. So side, side with how Jesus thinks about you. Side with his assessment over your life. Well, how do I do that, Chris? Well, you, I, I, you just got to make a commitment every single day to be with him. You got to worship. You got to pray. You got to read your Bible. You got to be with Jesus. As you do that, that's when the shame and the fear and the brokenness is cleansed and dealt with. And that is when you experience healing. Finally, as I close, verse 9, this is how God deals with our shame and our brokenness. Verse 9 of chapter 3, if we could get that up, it says, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? I love this. God is, he's not demanding necessarily an explanation. I mean, does God know what's happening? Yeah. It, is God coming in the form of judgment? No. What is he doing? I, I, I think, and I think I'm right, is he's inviting Adam and Eve into confession. God always comes in love and compassion and grace. And then what does he do? The way, the pathway into wholeness and human flourishing and experiencing the life that Jesus promised always goes through confession. What is confession? I know we have weird thoughts about confession. We think of it, we're Protestants. We think of it, we see in the movies maybe. Uh, maybe it's going to a father and you're sitting in a little box and you confess your sins. Or maybe uh, if you've been in more of Protestant tradition or maybe charismatic tradition, maybe you think of confession as going to a men's group and it's extreme in their accountability. You got to confess all your sins or whatever. And there's some truth to, to both of those. But confession is this. It's the central feature of our spiritual life. And it's just simply learning to be honest. It's not lying to ourselves about ourselves. It's wanting God more than anything. It's like being a child. Everyone say a child. Remember, what did Jesus say? He said, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to become like a child. He didn't say become childish, right? He said become like a child. So, so what does that mean? And there's a lot of different ways we can unpack the meaning of this, but I think at the bottom of it, what I love about my seven children is this. It's impossible. Everyone say impossible. It's impossible for them to lie about how they're feeling. Impossible. I wish they could just be quiet. We went to a restaurant yesterday for like the first time in a long time with my seven children. We went downtown and seven children, I want you to picture that. I want you to feel the anxiety. <laughs> and we told them, guys, be quiet. This is decorum. You're going to sit at your seat. 
You're not gonna scream and shout and say things. And we got in within one minute, kids are screaming, kids are pooping, kids are running all over the place. Kids are saying this food is disgusting. I'm like, babe, these are your children, right? This is what I love about children. They can't lie. You know, I, I, my, my youngest son, Riley, when he's hurt, he's gonna let, he's gonna come to, he always comes to me, he's my baby. Always comes to me. It's always like a little hurt, but he screams as if someone cut his leg off. But he always comes to me, follow me, points like his finger, like got a little pinprick or something, and he says, Daddy, I hurt. And I look down, I pray for him, and I just say, Jesus, heal him. And then he instantly starts to laugh. To me, this is a picture of how I think our relationship with our Father in Heaven works. No matter what you're going through, no matter the brokenness that you've experienced, the shame that you are haunted by, all the different circumstances that you're in, we have a good promise that when we come to our Father and we open up to Him, guess what happens? He takes all that brokenness, He takes all that hurt, He takes all that shame, and He transforms it. And He makes you new. But the thing that God expects from us is we have to be honest. We can't lie anymore. We can't blame shift. We have to take responsibility. Come on, somebody. We have to take responsibility for ourselves. God, and Tracy mentioned this a couple weeks ago, and I'm, clo I'm closing here. God will not heal what we cover up. And I want, to, I want you to hear this, the healthiest people, the ones whose thought patterns are least distorted are the most honest. Let me say this again, the healthiest people who follow Jesus are the ones who are not defensive, they're the ones who are honest. The people who like, I, I follow Jesus, but man, I make them a lot of mistakes. Or the preacher who gets up and says, yeah, I'm preaching this stuff, but I'm still learning. And that's what I'm saying. I'm still learning this stuff, right? The person who says, man, I'm just, ah, uh, I'm going through this. And you're just honest and, and you bring it to God or when you're brokenness, you bring it to God or you bring it to people that you trust. When you do that, that is when you experience the transformational power of God. I think when we lie to ourselves, we will never experience the healing that God has for us the wholeness that God has for us. Are you with me? Finally, I think I want to do it this way. I, I have a dream for this community and we're going to build for this and over the next few months and even few years, we're going to be talking about how we can do this in practical ways. But I want us to be a community, and this is how we become shame resilient. I want us to be a community that reframes shame. You hearing me? We reframe weakness and brokenness and sin. Not, we don't downplay it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We don't, we don't condone sin patterns. But I want us to be a community where this, is, this should be a safe place where we're not judging each other for dumb decisions that we all make. 
I should have got a roaring applause. Some of you, yeah, some of you have addictions, profound addictions, but we love you. God loves you. Are you hearing me? Some of you made horrible decisions, but God loves you. And we love you. Some of you are telling yourself that, man, I'm not welcomed here because I did such and such and such and such and such and such, and now I'm a Raiders fan, right? Always happens that way. Always. We still love you. Right? And my desire is that we're a community that reframes weakness and brokenness. And rather than being repelled by it, rather than like pointing our finger in our hearts towards someone, we're just, we're, we're okay with broken, messy church. And I've talked about this. We want broken, messy churches because that's where life is. And the good news is, is that God will always meet us in grace and compassion where we're at, but he'll never leave us there, guys. And I want a community that lives by this rule of reframing shame and weakness around King Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. I got to stop. Was that okay? There's so much more that I want to say. If you received, um, I want to transition right now into communion. I want to pray over you guys. If you received your elements, if you could just take that apart, and then as you take that apart, I want you, I want you to stand. If there's anyone that never received, maybe as you came into the church today, the elements. Could you just raise your hand and we have ushers around here that will look for you and give you some communion elements. I want to seal this time with receiving communion today. I'm going to believe that we are believing and I'm declaring that God's going to break off shame off of you. Some of you have been addicted to profound, profound things and I just see God breaking it off of you. Sex addictions, self-harm, anxiety, depression, things that have haunted you for your, your entire life and you've never been able to break an image or a word that's been spoken over you. I, I just declare the freedom of Jesus over every son and daughter in this room. But it does presuppose that, that we come to God right now as we, as we receive communion with, with honesty, with, in, in, with vulnerability, right? We're honest with God. God, come and cleanse my heart. Come and forgive me. Come and cleanse that memory that's haunting me, that's shaping my self-evaluation, whatever it might be. As we come to God in honesty, there's going to be healing today in Jesus' name. I want you to take the bread, go ahead and lift it up. This is Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 2. I want to read this. It says this, Therefore, so, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, check this out, despising the shame, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
how, as Shane pointed this out to me, how did God eradicate evil in this world? He did it by enduring shame on our behalf. You know anything about Roman crucifixion? It wasn't just the most excruciating way to die. It was also the most humiliating way to die. In fact, the Romans perfected the art of humiliation and mockery and shaming. Like I remember my kids, if you stay with me, my kids watched Passion of the Christ for the first time and they've never seen it since. I mean, they saw how grotesque uh, the events of Jesus and his death and everything that he went through. One thing they never captured, obviously because of our modern sensibilities, is that every victim of the cross was disrobed, unclothed, and everyone hung on a tree naked. Your God, who loves you with an everlasting love, who comes always in compassion and grace, did that for us, despised the shame. So we no longer would have to walk in shame. Can I get an amen? So as you lift up the bread, I thank you, Jesus, that you went to the cross for us. You gave your body for us. I thank you that you won the victory on the cross for us. I thank you that you eradicated evil and sin on the cross for us. I thank you you despised the shame of being mocked by inferior voices, by going through what you had to go through so that we would no longer have to walk in shame and fear and ridicule and brokenness. So I just thank you today an exchange would take place. I sense the presence of the Holy Spirit here today. I thank you as we partake of your bread, your life, your body, you would release life into us in Jesus' name. You may eat. If you could take the cup, I thank you the cup represents the shedding of your blood. I thank you the cup represents new creation. It's a new covenant where you, through your death and resurrection, you have poured out your spirit. And I just thank you as your eyes are closed, as we take and participate in the shedding of your blood this morning, I thank you that you would pour in fresh ways your spirit into our hearts. I thank you Romans chapter five says that the love of God, everyone say the love of God, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And I just thank you now that you would come and you do a fresh work. You do the work of new creation, that you would start a Genesis week in our lives, that we would have a new intimacy with you, that you would release your power in our lives. I thank you as we're standing here, we're about ready to close. I declare that healing's being released into our bodies. Declare healing over our minds, healing over anxiety and depression. Lift it in the, in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you that you renew our minds, renew our hearts, renew our emotions. I thank you that you would do a new work today in us. If there's anyone here suffering through a chronic disease, we thank you for your healing in the mighty name of Jesus. Uh, there's someone dealing with maybe a neck problem, a back problem. We thank you for your healing right now over whoever that might be in the mighty name of Jesus. There, I, just, there's, I just have all these different 
like issues and I'm not going to go through them, but there's a lot of people suffering from chronic stuff. I just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you would just bring healing and wholeness into their bodies in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, as we celebrate the shedding of your blood. We thank you, Father, for giving your life to us in Jesus' name. You may drink. Amen. We're almost done. Can you take your hand, put it on your heart? Shane's going to come up here. I'm going to pray one last thing. So Jesus, I declare a fresh work of the Holy Spirit over this church. I thank you that you're, you're taking our brokenness, you're taking our sin patterns, and you're cleansing us, and you're forgiving us. Can I get an amen? I thank you that you're doing a work, Lord, that would exceed our wildest expectations. I thank you for your blessing. I thank you for your love. I thank you that we're going to know over the next few weeks, starting today, how much you love us. I declare that we would know within our bones that we are the beloved. Everyone say the beloved. Come on, somebody. And I thank you as we begin to know how much we're loved, we begin to share that love to our neighbors. We begin to share that love to people in our city. Lord, I thank you the next few weeks and the next few months, you're bringing healing to this church. You're bringing wholeness to the church. There are some of you here today, you have dealt with jealousy and envy and bitterness and rage. I thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. And I thank you for your healing in the mighty name of Jesus. Some of you, you've dealt with sadness and loneliness all like since you can remember and I see the Holy Spirit healing you it's a complicated emotion and you've tried to figure out why and where it comes from I just see the Holy Spirit coming and bringing revelation and setting you free come on somebody I thank you that whom the Son sets free is free indeed I thank you that we shall know the truth and the truth will make us free today and I thank you as a community we would know the love of God I thank you as a community that we would welcome everyone. I thank you as a community we will never condone sin but we will walk in the love of Christ. Come on somebody. I thank you that this is a safe place. Come on. I thank you this is a place where people can come and bring their messiness and bring their brokenness and bring their anxiety and bring their fear and bring their sin and bring their sexual confusion and bring all their junk and all this stuff and bring it to Jesus and experience healing. I declare this is a revival church. I declare a move of God is happening in this church, in the churches in this valley, and in this city, in the mighty name of Jesus. And if you believe that, can you give God a hand? Come on, somebody. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.